0: Support for Criminal comes from 1Password. If you're someone who's ever reused an old password, or you just hate creating and keeping track of new ones, then it might be time to try a password manager. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. All you have to do is remember one strong account password that protects everything else. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepasswordcom criminal. That's the number one password.com slash criminal for two free weeks. One slash criminal.
1: Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month.
0: This episode contains descriptions of violence. Please
2: use discretion. Daniel? Oh, how you doing?
0: Hi, this is Phoebe.
2: How you doing, Phoebe?
0: I'm fine, thank you very much for doing this.
2: Ah, no problem, I love uh, sharing my story.
0: How about if we just start with you introducing yourself?
2: Okay, how you doing, my name's Daniel Taylor. I was born and raised in Chicago. I ended up going into uh, DCFS, Department of Children and Family Services, and so I ended up getting moved around a lot from foster home to foster home, from group home to group home.
0: Daniel Taylor was first removed from his mother's custody when he was eight and officially became a ward of the state in 1986, when he was 11.
2: You know, you, you stay in one place for a while, you get to know the people, you get to grow a, a, a love for them and an appreciation for them, and next thing you know, you just snatched up and moved to another place because something changed or the funding wasn't coming through on time, so the place had to be closed. or And, and so to get moved around so much, it, it had its, its pluses as well. Um, I got to meet a lot of different people. I, had, I got a chance to see a lot of different things, experience a lot of different things uh Other than what I was used to in the hood um and this bad side was that I always made good good friends and end up having to leave them that was for me that was the roughest
0: so were you were you trying to go to school as you were being moved around?
2: Oh yes, uh every time I went to a foster home or a group home, it was mandatory that uh they got you in school right away, so I've been to quite a few schools in my in my young days a lot and start all over again, and I'm the new guy, and I'm trying to figure out the difference between this new place and uh, the old place and try to find similarities where I can find a way to connect. But I knew it wouldn't last long because at some point, you know, something always went, you know, whether it was um, they was closing the place down or, or new people was coming in or I just had to end up moving to another uh group home or foster home, you know, and after a while, you kind of get used to it. You know, you, you learn about, you know, taking numbers down and staying in contact with them like that, but, you know, it's nothing like being around somebody that you sleep next to in a dorm. It was a stress.
0: He estimates he lived in more than 12 different foster homes and facilities, and says he joined a gang that some of his friends were part of, the Vice Lords. Late in the summer and fall of 1992, he was arrested five times, twice for theft, and three times for what was described as mob action. And then, on November 16th, he was arrested again.
2: On November 16th, um, I was in a house sleep when one of my friends came and woke me up. And he was like, I just got into a fight with this guy. And uh, he was bigger than me. And so I, uh, I got up, we went to the park so I could fight the guy because he felt I was you know, roughly the same size as the guy. Uh, in my opinion, the guy wasn't big. He was just tall, but that's neither here nor there. So um, me and this guy got to fight. And while I was fighting him, it was a lady hitting me in my back, in the back of my head. So I'm like, I looked back to see who was doing it, and I realized it was his mother. Um, uh, and so I stopped, I stopped fighting them and, um, uh, everybody got to walking away. And as we were walking away, uh, the police was riding down the street and ended up grabbing me, putting me on a car, patting me down, searching me. And, um, uh, they were about to let me go until, uh, the guy that I was fighting his mother came over. There like, no, that's him. That's the one that was fighting my son. And so I ended up going to jail that night.
0: According to police records, at 6.45 p.m., he was arrested for disorderly conduct and held in police custody for just over three hours before being released on bond.
2: So when I got out, you know, in, in Chicago, when they take uh, you to jail, they take your shoestrings, your belt, anything that, that, that you might... Uh, possibly harm yourself with. And so when they let you, when they release you, they give you your property back. And so I sat on the stairs and laced my shoes up because the area that the police took me to is, uh, it's a at that time, it was a gang-ridden area. I mean, right around the police station, too. Um, it was gangs all around that uh, station. And it was a rival gang to what I was at that time. And so I knew that when I walked out them doors, I had better be able to run. Once I laced up my shoes, I uh, walked out them doors and I started running. First, it was more like a slow jog. And then when you get closer to certain blocks or alleys, you want to pick your speed up in case somebody recognize you that's from a different organization than what I was in at that time.
0: Daniel had been staying at his friend's mother's house. And he says that when he got there, he could tell that something had happened.
2: I could tell the house had been um, ran through, um, or what do you want to call it, or raided, and because the doors was, was torn off, you know, inside the house, everything was screwed about.
0: His friend's mother's name was Andrea Phillips, but Daniel says people called her Cookie.
2: And she told me that I had to get out.
0: Because you had been arrested?
2: Uh, no, I think it's because the house had been raided, and uh, her stuff. You know, when they raid your house, they they tear everything up. They pull your couches off. They pull the drawers all the way out, taking them off the rack. They they flip your mattress. They 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 unzip the pillow coverings, uh, the 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 the, uh, the couch uh, pillow coverings. I mean, they, they they just really like mess your house up real bad.
0: The police said they had found a small amount of cocaine. Cookie Phillips said she believed the drugs belonged to Daniel. She told him he had to leave.
2: So now I'm faced with another task of finding out where I'm going to sleep and where I'm going to go.
0: He remembers he walked to an emergency shelter he knew was nearby.
2: And so it was a short walk, and I know by me being a ward of the state with DCFS, that if I went in there, that they would take me in. And at some point, if I stay there long enough, they'll find me placement somewhere. And what placement means is a group home or foster home in which you can stay long-term.
0: Two weeks after he was arrested for fighting, he remembers he was staying at a youth shelter. His younger brother was there, too.
2: And uh, they have like, dorm rooms with, with, at that time, like five to six beds in one room. And my brother was, you know, we both... Of course we brother we want to be in the same room so we was uh our beds were next to each other and uh, I'm woken up um so when I looked and I seen that it it was uh some white people saying my name cuz at that group home it was it was mostly blacks so if you seen a white person it it, it was it, it would it would it would alert you to something you know something's not right something's going on and so when um they woke me up saying my name. They told me uh, I need to get dressed. I got up, I got dressed. As they was walking me out, I'm asking like, what's going on? I even asked a staff member, like, what's going on? And it was like, uh, you need to go with them. And I'm like, for what? And so I asked the officer, like, what, you know, what what is all this about? And they didn't say anything until we got in the car. When we got in the car, I'm like, man, what's going on? And one of the was like, man, you know what you did? And I'm like, what? I'm like, I ain't done nothing. And then he uh, punched me in my chest and told me to sit back.
0: Did anyone answer you on the whole ride, or did he just say sit back and be quiet?
2: Like, he just, once he hit me and told me to sit back and be quiet, I didn't say anything else. I just sat there. I, I knew I hadn't done anything, so I just knew, like, once they, you know, once... They did tell me what was really going on. You know, I explained, and and you know, I'll be home. You know, well, I'll be back at the uh, shelter. You know, when I first got there, they threw me in a room and they cuffed me to a wall and uh, they left out. And when they came back in, They came in, they said, hey man, what's going on? And, you know, I might be paraphrasing, uh, but the end result was they they wanted to know what I knew about a murder. And they said that I was involved in it. They uh, they told me certain things that uh, one of the other guys that was locked up had said I, was, uh, I supposedly had did. And so they, they pretty much was telling me things I did and things I supposed to did. And I'm like, some murders? Man, I don't know nothing about no murders. It, I mean, it took me shock. I, I, I couldn't even believe they was even asking me or questioning me about that. That was not my lifestyle. I wasn't the guy that was riding around toting guns and shooting guns. That that wasn't me. I told them, man, I didn't have nothing to do with this. I didn't do this. Uh, who's ever telling me all this? They're lying. I don't, I don't know anything about a murder. And... Uh, one of them got mad and we, you know, we got to cussing at each other and, and, um, one of them hit me in my lower back with one of them, uh, old school flashlights. I, I don't see them much around no more like I used to back in the day. You remember them long, big black ones? And, you know, they gave, uh, they punched me in my body a little bit to intimidate me. And, and one of them even told me that, uh, oh, he's going he to enjoy this because I have dark skin, so my bruises won't show as easy.
0: A man and a woman had been shot and killed in a second-floor apartment on Chicago's north side. Daniel says that the police seemed convinced that he and a number of other young black men
2: were involved. I was blindsided. I, you know, I, I've never taken a life. So for them to step to me with questions about murder, it was it was like I couldn't believe it. I was like I'm I was sitting there in total shock, like there's no way. That's impossible. And I just it's a shock that I, I don't believe I have the vocabulary to explain fully.
0: You ended up signing a confession. Yes. Why?
2: Me signing that confession is the, the the worst time in my life that I can picture ever as, as just just being a man and, you know and 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 standing up for yourself and that was one of my lowest points ever in my life um, I've been hit before and didn't fight back. I've been in fights where I had to run but what they did to me the fear that they invoked in me, um, as a kid, was was outrageous. Like I was frightened. They had you know, they had been beating on me. They kept telling me what I did. They told me I was gonna sign that confession. I I knew how they worked, so I did what they wanted me to do. I ain't got nobody that's. That I felt I could reach out to to stop what they were doing from happening, and so I, I I signed a confession. I I I repeated what they told me that I suppose the head did. Then they called the state's attorney in. So
0: did they? Did they kind of tell you? What to say in the confession? Or they basically
2: gave me the information of of what happened. Also, they brought one of the guys in that that they uh, had at the station to say that 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 I was with him. When he walked into the interrogation room, they like to say, uh, <laughs> "What's that new thing?" They like to say now. Uh, conference room. No, that was not a conference room. That was an interrogation room. When they brought him in there and I'm looking at him like, man, what's going on? And look in his eyes, I'll never forget it. i never forget it.
0: What happened after you signed the confession?
2: I sat in that interrogation room for a while. And at some point, one of the officers came and took me down to a uh, holding cell and on our way down I'm telling him like man I didn't do this bro I didn't take these people out I'm not a killer Daniel says that as they walk down to the holding
0: cell he realized something about the date of the murders
2: you know and, and, and that's what hit me on my way down to the holding cell like wait a minute man I had caught that th- something man. man I was locked up the murders had taken place on November
0: 16th The same day Daniel was arrested for fighting in the park. He had been arrested at 6.45 p.m. The murders happened at 8.43 p.m. And Daniel wasn't released until 10 o'clock that night.
2: I was like, man, call down there. They should have some records or something, man. I was locked up. I know I was locked up on that day. I said, I got locked up for fighting that day.
0: But no one listened. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal.
1: We'll be right back.
0: Thanks to 1Password for their support. It can be annoying to create so many new, unique passwords with arbitrary numbers, symbols, and letters every time we need one. And then once we've created one that works, we have to try to keep track of it and not reuse it anywhere else. And not choose anything that's easy to guess or remember. OnePassword can take care of all of that for you. OnePassword generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. It uses industry leading security to bring private, secure, and user friendly password management to everyone. With OnePassword, you just need to remember one strong account password that protects everything else. It's a great way to keep things organized and private. So you'll no longer need to keep tabs on a bunch of long, convoluted passwords or reuse the same one ever again. Join the millions of users and over hundred thousand businesses who trust One Password's award-winning password manager. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial for you and your family at onepassword.com/criminal. That's the number one password.com/criminal for two free weeks. Onepassword.com/criminal. In December of 1992, 17 year old Daniel Taylor was charged along with seven other young black
2: men. And and they charged uh, charged us all uh, with murder. Eight of us.
0: Tell me about the trial. How long did you wait before the trial?
2: The trial took maybe three years, two years, and, and, and two years and some months. Daniel says
0: he felt hopeful. Because the judge had granted him a bond, so he didn't have to spend that whole
2: time waiting in jail. The judge gave me a eye bond on a double murder home invasion. That doesn't happen. So at that point, I'm thinking like, okay, he got, to, he got to know that, you know, I ain't do this. You know, he got to know this. I ain't do nothing. I ain't had nothing to do with this.
0: Were, were you each tried individually?
2: No. Uh, We were tried uh, jointly, but we were broke up into, like, teams. It was, like, uh, two guys. It was eight of us all together, so they broke it up in twos. And um, I ended up uh, going to trial with uh, Dennis Mixon.
0: What was the evidence that the prosecution had against you?
2: That confession. That's it no witnesses, no fingerprints, nothing. Nothing. They still going to get up there and give that speech that you did it.
0: Did your lawyer at any point say, "Wait, no, 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 he was in jail at the time this happened." Did anyone bring up the fact that that was impossible for you to commit the murder because you you were you were behind bars?
2: Yes, that that was brought up through the whole process that I was locked up. When when they found out I was locked up, instead of them doing the right thing, which was to let me go, um, they they tripled down. They had an officer uh, sent in a report months later saying he seen me at a certain time. it was it was it was it was it was it was crazy.
0: The prosecution presented testimony from a police officer, Sean Glinsky, who, along with Officer Michael Birdie, had filed a report claiming that they had seen Daniel Taylor on a street near where the murders took place around 9.30. 9.30 was about 45 minutes after the murders, and half an hour before records indicated that Daniel had been released from police custody for disorderly conduct. Officer Glinsky testified that he had heard about a shooting on his police radio, and that after he arrived to the area, he and other officers followed a young person who was running into an apartment. That was the apartment of Cookie Phillips, where Daniel Taylor had been staying. According to Officer Glinski, he left the apartment and ran into Daniel. He testified that he asked Daniel to help him find one of Cookie Phillips' sons, which he said Daniel did, and that they drove around for 10 or 15 minutes before dropping Daniel off at the emergency shelter. Daniel's defense attorneys presented proof that Daniel was in police custody at the time of the murders, testimony from people who were on duty that night, and the bond slip indicating that Daniel was locked up until 10 p.m., But the prosecution suggested that that was simply a paperwork error. That the bond slip could have been completed after Daniel had already left and stamped with the wrong time. When you were sitting there in the courtroom hearing police officers say this stuff, that you weren't in, you weren't locked up at the time, how did you keep yourself calm
2: Um, certain, certain aspects of trial, they use a vocabulary that's beyond, or that was beyond my vocabulary. Because they'll say things like, as to the day that Taylor, that you seen Taylor, um, judge, and then they'll pause and judge, I would like to enter evidence, and they'll blah, 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 the number and, and the codes for it. And then they'll go back and say, I would like to call your attention to such and such day. And do you recollect that day? And I'm like, you know, recollect. I, I didn't know what that word meant. So I'm going, you know, I, I end up sitting in trial, just looking at what was what was going on more so than what was being said, because I couldn't understand it.
0: Was your family there? Was anybody there supporting you?
2: Um, not all the time. My little brother, uh, he came to a court a few times, but outside of him coming, it was, uh, no, I didn't have any any family there.
0: What do you remember about the jury? Anything?
2: The jury is, uh, I, I don't really remember much about them. I do remember jury selections uh, for some reason, because some of the stuff how the jury selection is done is, and the questions that's asked, like it was one jury that the judge asked, and the judge said, do you believe that as Taylor sits there that he is innocent and must be proven guilty? And so this lady says, yes, I believe that he's innocent until proven guilty, but if an officer get up there and say that he did something or that he did it, I'm going to convict him. And I'm like, wait, it don't, wait that don't sound right. And, but the judge was questioning her. So we were sitting there just, you know, looking at the whole thing unfold. And the judge uh, informed her, like, no, that is not how it worked. You can't not do that. You have to listen to the evidence and make a decision based off the evidence, a totality of the evidence, not just because the officer said he did it. She believed the police
0: no matter what.
2: No matter what, she would not be in the fold to... To follow the law in that aspect and so she was not chosen. That's just something that always stuck with me because it's like, how can you just you know, I'm not trying to make this a race thing, but it was a it was a it was a black woman that just could not for any reason look at the evidence and make a decision, but that if the police had said that I did it, she was ready to convict me. And I think that's why I remember that moment so much the way that I do.
0: We'll be right back.
1: Embracing nature is more than just going for a walk now and then it's reconnecting with the elements. It's harnessing the power of natural ingredients. It's putting the earth first. For over 50 years, Nature's Sunshine has been sharing the healing power of nature as they work towards a healthier planet. Their manufacturing facility is 100% powered by sunlight and they divert 95% of waste away from landfills. If you're looking for a sustainably made herbal supplement, you might wanna check out Nature's Sunshine and their new power line. That's naturesunshine.com and use code NSP for 25% off your first order.
0: Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work Prosecutors didn't present any physical evidence against him. There wasn't any. None of the fingerprints at the scene matched his. None of the DNA matched. And there was no murder weapon. The prosecution spent a lot of time working to show that Daniel Taylor could have been at the crime scene and not in police custody at the time of the murders. They put police officer Sean Glinsky on the stand to testify that he'd seen and even spoken to Daniel near where the murders had happened. But Daniel's defense attorney showed that the paperwork filed by Officer Glinsky and Officer Michael Birdie, claiming that they'd seen Daniel, had been submitted one month after the murders, and just under two weeks after Daniel's confession, and that it had not been signed off on by a supervisor. Daniel's lawyer told the jury... There isn't one reasonable doubt in this case. The whole case is one big doubt. The jury only deliberated for a few hours. One juror later told a reporter, quote, A couple people were skeptical for maybe a couple minutes, but once we figured it out, it was pretty easy. Another said, quote, The only piece that didn't seem to fit was that stuff that he'd been in jail at the time, he could have walked out the back door for all we knew.
2: There was a juror that was uh, interviewed, and he—they uh, were asked. He was asked, "What was like the defining moment that—that that made you, you know, feel like Taylor was guilty?" The response, and I might be off a word or two, was basically. They believe that I was released early that night. Now, mind you, their theory was I was released early, or I snuck out. Now, mind you, I'm 17, just made 17. I'm a, I'm a couple of months into being 17, and I'm in, I'm, I'm locked up in the police station for a fight, and they're telling these people that I snuck out, killed two people. And snuck back in without being seen or spotted. A 17-year-old whose shoestrings you you took, whose belt you took, so that he may not harm himself, snuck out to go kill two people and snuck back in so I could face the uh, fight charge? That doesn't make any sense. You're going to sneak out to go do something that horrible, but sneak back in? That anybody would sneak back in. If, if you are saying I'm smart enough to sneak out of here without being seen, spotted, or any damage being reported by the cell inside the cell, that I got to be some kind of genius. So if you are giving me that much credit to be able to sneak out, why not give me the rest of the credit not to come back? But I, but I, I posed to snuck back in. Like I, I'm I snuck back in, really.
0: Daniel Taylor was sentenced to life in prison. He was 19.
2: That was a day that I really lost connection with the world. Physically, emotionally, mentally. Like, I really believe that that day I found out what existing means and not living. That very day. It's, it's so many things going through my mind. Uh, one of them being, is just total shutdown. And when I'm mean being total shutdown, everything that I can think of came rushing to me. And at a split second, it just vanished. And I felt nothing. I could connect to nothing. I couldn't understand half of the things people were saying once I left. I was sitting there trying to watch TV when I got back to the deck that I was on. I took a shower, changed from out of the court clothes into the prison clothes. And I went out to what's called a day room. And I sat there and I tried to watch the TV. And you know how you can get into a show or a movie? I felt zero, nothing. Nothing. I couldn't focus. It, it, was, it, was, it was a pain that just made me dull, unfocused. Like, I just couldn't connect to anything or anyone.
0: Were you scared knowing that you were going to prison, 19 years old, someone who'd been convicted of
2: two murders? I was more so scared of the natural life that they gave me, of having to serve the rest of my natural life In prison. I was more afraid of that than the actual jail itself in that aspect. To never again, never again just get up and walk out the house because I feel like it. I was more afraid of that in that aspect. When they transferred me from Cook County to Jolly Ass Prison. Most of the time, they have like it looked like a school bus, and you in the seat, and they got your hands cuffed up. Uh, I wasn't on that kind of bus. I was on a, I was in a van, and they had me shackled from around my waist to my hands. My feet were shackled, and they had this like doggy chain that's looped around my waist, and they hold on to that, like like you a dog, and. When they put me in the van, I was cuffed to the floor of that van. Uh, and again, I'm, my hands are shackled together. Also, my feet are shackled together. And the chain that he was using to hold me, uh, or to walk me, if you will, that was chained to the floor. And I was driven to Ass prison like that. And at that very moment, I knew that the type of time I had was different than what those guys that was getting on those, like, school buses had. They had outdates. I didn't have one. And that realization sunk in so quick.
0: Next time, how Daniel Taylor finally got someone to listen to him. Criminal is created by Lauren Spohr, And me. Niti Wilson is our senior producer. Katie Bishop is our supervising producer. Our producers are Susanna Robertson, Jackie Sajiko, Libby Foster, Lily Clark, Lena Sillison, and Megan Kanane. Our technical director is Rob Byers, engineering by Russ Henry. Julian Alexander makes original illustrations for each episode of Criminal. You can see them at thisiscriminal.com. If you like the show, tell a friend or leave us a review. It means a lot. We're on Facebook and Twitter at Criminal Show and Instagram at criminal underscore podcast. And we're also on YouTube, where you can go back and take a listen to some of our favorite past episodes. That's at youtube.com slash criminal podcast. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal.